This morning, we're going to give you a whole lot of information. And uh, to start this conversation about where I'd like to see us go this morning, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, if you've been here a long time, you know that I love the book of Nehemiah. It's one of those books that's very practical. There's a lot of leadership stuff in that book. It really helps you to kind of understand what it means to, to move forward in life. There's just all kinds of encouragement associated with this book. Now, for those of you who are newer to the church, I think this will kind of give you a, a, a good idea of where we've come from recently as a church, and then where we're headed as a church. And this has been a process that's been going on for many, many years, uh, where God has taken this church. And we're going to look at that this morning. So, in God's Word, there are many individuals who made a difference and one of those is Nehemiah himself. The year is 445 B.C., and the nation of Israel is in disarray. Some of the captives now are returning to the holy city, Jerusalem, to discover that it is in shambles. The walls of the city have been destroyed, which is back in that day. Uh, that means they, the city was open prey for anyone to move in and move out when it came to terrorism and all kinds of things. But God is raising up Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and begin the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. The thing that we need to understand when it comes to God's word and what we see happen over and over again is every time there is a great need among God's people, God raises someone up to meet that need. And here's what I've found. I've looked across, especially in my lifetime, and looked and talked to many people along the way. And there's been those who felt like God had placed a calling on their life. or There was a specific purpose they wanted to, them to accomplish, only for them to tell me later that they didn't accomplish it. And they felt like that was the moment God wanted to use them. And they failed the moment, basically. And in spite of that, they, and in that, they failed God. But then there's been those who have answered the call, and they've moved forward. They've moved forward. And it's not just individuals that God calls. God calls churches also to meet needs. There's a need that's out there. God will raise up that church to meet that need. And if that church is not pliable and willing and surrendered, I believe he'll move on to the next church to see what, God, what he can do in that church. So look at the introduction there. The churches with the greatest impact for the kingdom of God have many similarities with the great work of Nehemiah. And the first thing that we see there is they have a compelling purpose. And that compelling purpose is seen in their passion. In Nehemiah chapter 1, look at verse 2. He says, Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah... And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the capti captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors are left from captivity in the province. They are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And mourn for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's what you need to keep in mind. Nehemiah is far from this place. So he gets a report 
what's going on there in Jerusalem, namely Israel also. And so he's the cupbearer of the king, which means he has an audience with the king on a regular basis. And so we see that he's moved with compassion towards God's people there. So what does he do? He prays, he fasts after he hears the report. Now, here's what we need to understand is it becomes a principle in God's word that you see clearly. Now, his passion, Nehemiah's passion was born out of his compassion for his people, which happened to be the same compassion God had for his people. So do you see what's happening here? God, Nehemiah's heart is aligning itself with the heart of God. And, and because of that, Nehemiah is going to have a profound impact on the kingdom of God for the, God's people himself. So we see they have a compelling purpose. We see it in their passion. But secondly, we see it in their discipline. In Nehemiah chapter 6, you go all the way to chapter 6, and here's what we find in verse 15. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days. Now, y'all, this is a quite, this is a big accomplishment. This is big time. If you were to have engineers go and look in, and you had those of this world go look into how big the project was, how fast they moved, how they got it done, it moved pretty fast. It moved pretty fast. And they probably would be impressed themselves. But here's what we need to understand as it relates to this compelling purpose. Every great compelling purpose is preceded and continued with great passion and great discipline. It's also, what we see from this, is continued with prayer and work. There's so many people that I know that, that basically see a need, and as far as they carry the need is through their prayers. And there's nothing wrong with praying about a need. How many of you agree with that? we got to pray. That's where it starts. But you see, God, many times what I have found, that very thing that I'm praying for is the thing that he gives me a passion for. And he gives me his strength and his purposes to align myself with him to do the things he calls me to do. And the same thing is true, hopefully, with you. I believe it's true with the church also. So not only do they have a compelling purpose, secondly, they have a continual prayer life. Now, let me just say this. Seeking God's direction in life is the most important thing you can do. We had these graduates standing up here this morning. One of the guys mentioned big decisions have to be made and will be made in the coming years. The most important thing that they can do is to trust and look for the heart of God and where he's leading them. Most important thing they can do, and that will only come through prayer. Now, all great movements of God, now this is something worth noting. All great movements of God started with a movement of prayer. It's when people began to align themselves, to align themselves with the great need that God brings to their life. When they begin to pray about them th those things, their heart is drawn towards that. But here's what I've noticed when it comes to those who have a continual prayer life. They have integrity. They have integrity. Those with great integrity, here's what I found, have an accurate view of God, and they also have an accurate view of themselves. They see God for who he is and the understanding that they have to understand him. But not only that, they see themselves in an accurate way. And so Nehemiah proves that point. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, look at verse 5. He says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, 
You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. You see, he's got an accurate view of God. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. So what did he call himself? Servant of the Most High. For the children of Israel, your servants, uh, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Again, not only an accurate view of God, an accurate view of himself and even the people he's praying for. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. So what do we find here? Where do we see integrity coming from? From an accurate view of who God is and an accurate view of where you currently are. And making those attempts to become all that God desires you to become in that. So integrity is very important when it comes to a great work that God chooses, when God chooses a person to do. Integrity is the glue. It's the foundation from which things are built. So from a great prayer life comes, it comes integrity, but then comes this. And this is what we find so many times. Selflessness. Or you become selfless. In verses 5 to 11 of Nehemiah 1, servant is mentioned seven times. Seven times. Basically, Nehemiah is giving himself to what God desires to the needs of his people. So Nehemiah, here's what's interesting, left his comfort and conveniences behind. He ignored his preferences. Here's what I want you to understand. Nehemiah was a cupbearer of the king. Now, he had a dangerous job. Let me just tell you this. He had all the things that the palace would give. He probably ate the best foods. Now, he didn't know if it was poisoned or not, but, but anyway, he, he ate all the great foods. He, had, he probably had it made when it comes to those who served the king. Not only that, we're going to understand a little bit later in the book of Nehemiah that he had a special relationship with the king. It seems that he was a counselor also for the king. So what do we see here? What do we see here? Every great work requires sacrifice and selflessness. Nehemiah's prayer revealed that he saw his life in the context of God and his desires and not his own pursuits and preferences. There was a difference between what he possibly could have desired and what God desires. What did he do? He aligned himself with God's desires. And we see that so clearly here. Not only do they have a compelling purpose, they have a continual prayer life, but they have a clear plan. There's a plan associated with what God calls people to. And the first thing we see is priorities. Priorities. Nehemiah chapter 2, look at verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So Nehemiah, what he's done is so far he's heard of the need that's there in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden his heart is aligned with the heart of God and now he desires to set out to be a part of the solution. That, and God's called him to be the leader of those who will rebuild the wall. So he's going before the king for request. And it says in verse 4, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. What do we see here? We see the plan. We see the priority. And it was to rebuild the walls to the city of Jerusalem. 
Next, we not only see priorities, we see it's intentional or intentionality. In Nehemiah chapter 2, if you skip down to verse 7, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So Nehemiah, what he's done, he's looked at the project, he sized up the project, and he basically put some things that were intentional into the plan, and one of those things is he had to get to Jerusalem safely, because it wasn't just him going, there was a caravan of people who were setting out for that journey and for that mission. And so he goes out, and so then verse 8, and also a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. So he's basically saying, here's the plan, here's the need, and he puts it before the king. You see, chapter 2, if you really think about it, of Nehemiah, is all about great vision. It's about great vision. Nehemiah created a list of things he needed from the king to accomplish the task, to invest in the future of God's people, to have influence in their community. You see, our desire... Our desire should be as a church is to expand our influence into the community. And our influence, our mandate, all that comes from God himself. And here's what we need to note from that. And none of that will return void if we go out in the name of our Lord. And we begin to do his will, his, his, his purposes here in our community. Next, they have a com- courageous persistence. And that's and, and we see it in the fact they're committed. They're committed. So look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Here, here's what's going on. They, they're probably, it seems they're halfway through the project. And all of a sudden, enemies are coming up. How many of you realize when you do something God-sized, there's many of those who will become critical? You ever been there? Anything that God gives you, the world will not sit there and applaud. <laughs> They'll seek to tear it down. And the same thing has happened here. They get halfway through the project, and all of a sudden, it's not just those who are coming from the outside. The work itself becomes heavy. He says the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubble that they're not able to rebuild the wall. And our adversary said they will neither know nor see, that we will never know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So the, the, the job is overwhelming. Not only is the job overwhelming, there's terrorists out there ready to kill us. So it was when the Jews dwelt near then they came, that they came up to us ten times. And they said, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Let there be something here. Let, let, here's, you keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the proper focus. So we see it in their commitment, or they, they're committed not only do we see this, that they're committed, but they're also driven. They're driven. What happens when we get serious about serving the Lord? By giving ourselves to what he's called us to. What does that look like? We'll look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. 
So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Now here's what this is all about. Nehemiah is basically saying, those who were against us, there were three people in particular who were against him, and they're basically calling out threats. They're saying, hey, let's have a meeting. The reason they wanted to have a meeting is because the work was being accomplished. Great things were happening. The wall was about to be put up, and the enemies on the outside did not like to see the people of Israel, God's people, raised up like they're about to be raised up. And so basically they're asking for meetings for Nehemiah, and they're trying to bring him down. But he sees through this plan. And so he goes on, he says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Now skip down to verse 15. So he continued, and so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the Elu in 52 days, and it happened, this is important, it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Y'all, <laughs> that, you're talking about a sense of accomplishment. You're talking about a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. To do something that is so far beyond them. To do something that, that many looking on would marvel at. And to know that you did it for the glory and honor of God, fulfilling the purposes, and you got to be a part of that? Would you consider that a big deal? That was a big deal. And that's what we find in this story. So how should this story motivate a church to carry out the mandate that God has placed on his church? Well, We've been given a compelling purpose, have we not? Has the church been given a compelling purpose by Jesus himself? Go out into the highways and the hedges, bring them in. Make, go and make disciples of all men, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've been given all that. We should have a passion for it. We should have discipline to accomplish those things. Also this, they have a continual prayer life. We need to get to a point where we're honestly evaluating who we are before a holy God. And aligning ourselves with his purposes through prayer that lead to our selflessness. That we can accomplish what God calls us to accomplish. And in, in the day and age in which we live, how does that relate to the church? Selfless, here's what I believe it means. Because of the transitions churches are having to make in this day and age. Selfless means putting behind our preferences. Putting behind our preferences. Holding up the word of God to be the truth of God in a world in which everything is coming at it. Those are the things we must keep in focus. Not only that, we're given a clear plan. Some years ago, God gave us a plan to accomplish what we've accomplished here as a church and what we continue to need to accomplish as a church. But it comes with priorities. It comes with intentionality. And we'll look at more of that in just a moment. Next, we have had... And must continue to have a courageous persistence. We got to continue to be courageous. We got to continue to move forward. We got to continue to say, God, whatever it takes, we want to fulfill the great commission, the great purpose that you placed on us as a church in a unique way in which you called us to have an impact in this community for your kingdom. And really, not just for this community, but also for all the communities of the world. So here's what I want you to understand. I told our church 20 years ago, 
And many of you may have been here. Matter of fact, I want to ask you if you'll do me this favor. If you've been here and you think you've been here uh, since the year 2000, would you stand to your feet, those who can? Stand to your feet. Wow. <laughs> I think we've been outnumbered. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. I mean, they... Uh, y'all, they, they've seen a lot of changes in this place. Uh, let me tell you a couple of changes that, that come right off the top. Uh, our worship center, wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago, it was where the children meet. And let me just tell you, back in the 80s, 70s, those same people, many of those same people who stood made tremendous sacrifices for that to be their worship center. And for us to turn that into a children's facility and then come into what was the gym, you see what I'm talking about, is a big deal. It doesn't end there. There's so many other stories I could tell you about the preferences that were laid aside in which, in which we could move forward reaching the generations that lie ahead. So here, here's what's interesting. So 20 years ago, that was, uh, I told our church that by 2030, and this is happening, by the way, almost half of the churches in this area would have to close their doors. And we're watching it slowly take place. And when it starts, really, it's going to just gain momentum. And is this something we desire? Absolutely not. But it's very certain that these churches are not looking to reach the generations that come. Y'all, I'm not talking about compromising the Word of God. Y'all, if we compromise the Word of God, we might, let's just shut the doors ourselves. But I'm talking about the capability of reaching the generations to come. How will we position ourselves to do that? Not forsaking the truth of God's Word, but moving forward. So, so if they don't change their ways, and, and think about that. That's just seven years from now. You may say, well, how's that playing out? We did a little research. Some of you heard of this research we did. There are 84 Southern Baptist churches in this community. 84, okay? Now, why would I pick on the Southern Baptists? Because, uh, because of the work of Gardner-Webb and different places. There's a lot of Southern Baptist churches in this area. This is the Southern Baptist Mecca. It really is. <laughs> Cleveland County. But here's what's astounding. Of those 84, 54 churches... Of the 84, have less than 50 average attendance each Sunday. And from what we've been told, most of the people who attend those churches are over the age of 65. What does that tell you? It tells you there's trouble coming if things don't change. So about 20 years ago, I made a commitment personally to God that I would lead our church in a direction that would ensure its impact in our community in the decades to come. I remember it. I don't know if you remember it, but what was happening at our church was back in 1999, they just called me to be the pastor in February of that year. And, uh, and, and by, uh, yeah, October, we were celebrating our 50th anniversary. And, and I'm going to tell you, between that time and that 50th anniversary, God continued to impress a vision in my heart. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know up or down when I became a pastor. The only thing I knew is he called me to be the pastor of this place, which I'd been on staff for nine years. 
And I was sitting there, and I'll be honest with you, I was kind of conflicted because the more God was telling me and showing me, this is what you've got to do. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it may even take. Now, did I see everything clearly at that point? No. How many of you, God gives you the whole plan at one time? He doesn't, does he? He just says, take the next step. Take the next step. Take the next step. And we've tried to do that as well as we can as a church. So here's what, here's what was happening, though, in my heart. There were decisions that almost caused me to run from the position here as pastor. Because I knew what God was calling me to do. But why, why, why would I run from that? Here's the reason why. Many of you don't know this. When I came here, I was 24 years old. Now, a lot of 24-year-olds think they know it all. You don't. If you're 24, you're, you don't know anything. I'm living proof of that. And when I came here, I just wanted to be a servant. I just wanted to get out there. I just wanted to do what God called me to do. And I did the best I could at what he gave me. And God began to put some burning things in my heart. But here's what was interesting. I looked at those people after nine years, really 10 and 11 years, because that's when God really impressed the vision. I didn't want to disappoint those people. You know why? Because they invested in me. Some of you in this room, you invested in me. It wasn't just me investing in you. You were investing in me. And I, know, I knew some of the decisions going forward would not be easy on you. I knew that. And, and I didn't want to be that person, to be honest with you. But you know what God showed me along the way? He said, well, who else are we going to put there? Not that anyone, anyone could have come in and done it, but here, here's what I had. Here's what God knew about me. I had already been among you, amongst you for 10 years. There was a trust that was there, even though I was going to test it in many ways. <laughs> and there were some things that were going on in my heart. There were things that God was showing me. I was terrified as a young pastor at the time. I was 33 years old. And guess what? You still don't know nothing when you're 33 years old. How many of you know that? How many of you are growing to be aware of that? You, you think you do. You don't. It, it, there's, so, there's so much more to come. But, but here's what God was doing. God was bringing me to a point of a vision. But here's what he showed me. This is what was interesting. The vision that he gave me, he started long before I became the pastor. The vision he gave me was not just a vision that I would be able to be a part, but would continue after me. Now, this is not my resignation speech, not this here. Just understand that, okay? <laughs> not going anywhere right now, okay? But, but here's the point. It was bigger than me. Here's what I want to say. In 1949, look at this picture. These people gathered to form this church. Pretty, pretty group there, isn't it? I tell you, I, I don't think there's no one left, by the way, but there's a couple people in there I recognize. Their passing has only been in the last five, seven years. And they're right there. And if you read the account, they were excited about what God was doing here in this little place. And, and it was pretty, pretty spectacular to see. The 1970s came along, and the church had rooted itself, became a church, had some buildings, uh, was seen. But there was, there was a kind of a power structure here. How many of you have been a part of a church that had a power structure? Okay, that's always a blessing. Some of you know real well, evidently. <laughs> but in the 70s, God sent a man by the name of Johnny Bridges. And I'm learning this as a history of the church to come and kind of break that up. 
because it wasn't healthy at the time. And that's from the people who actually were here. They, they told me that, okay? And then all of a sudden, the church really started to struggle because it, it was kind of a, it had a form of a split in some ways. Not, not a full split, but the church, church struggled after that. And then Larry Mars and Carol were called to be a part of this church. He had to take a pay cut to come here. And, and, and they said, as soon as we can get you back to where you were, we'll get you there as far as pay and all that. But he, he was just concerned about where God was calling him. Don't you appreciate a man of God that way? Wherever God's calling me, I'm going to go. So he came here. And the church had probably as firm a footing as it ever had under his leadership. And I had the privilege to work with him for nine years. And I saw things, and I continued to learn, and I began to see, and I saw people's strengths, and I started looking around at what God was doing. And, and so 2000s came, and the terrified young pastor at 33 years of age was contemplating, <laughs> am I going to do this or not? Because it would be easier to go somewhere else. <laughs> but God continued to work in my heart. And we've seen some pretty amazing things happen in 25 years. But there's one man, I, told, I did not tell him I was going to do this. There's one man in this room right now. Let me just say that there were many of you who encouraged me all along the way. And listen, I'm not making this about me. It was the people of God being excited about the potential of what he could do in our community that did what we did. But there's a man in our, right here in this room one of the greatest servant leaders I've ever met. At the time, he would be what you call a patriarch. How many of you have worked with patriarchs in churches before? Some of them, some of those experiences are not very good. But man, in this, in my case, it was the best thing ever for a young pastor who didn't know up from down at times, who was just hanging on to everything God was telling him to do. There was a book by John Maxwell it said this, I'll never forget it, and I was looking for every bit of leadership I could find in any book I could find it, and he said this, you need to identify the patriarch or the matriarch because when, that, when you identify them, you'll find the person who probably has greater influence than you do as a pastor. I found that person, and of course, I kind of always knew who it was. He was crucial to us responding to the vision God gave us. Many of you and those who have gone to be with Jesus, I mean, he was right there telling you, let's just see where God takes this, reassuring you when I couldn't reassure you. He was every bit of that. But yet, he never used his influence for his own preferences and desires. It's always been what God desires for what's best for the church. God has used and continued, continues to use him in a mighty way. And I'm just telling you, as a young pastor back then and even an older one now, I, I can't imagine doing this without him. And many of you already know who I'm talking about. Maynard, would you stand, please? Right. <laughs> stand up. We appreciate you, man. I have no gift, no card, no money. <laughs> I just want to tell you how much I love you and your support. And the way you've led, helped lead this church is just remarkable. And uh, I know some pastors in this room, if y'all had a Maynard, your situation would turn the whole, it, 
would have been a whole lot different than what you faced. I'm just going to tell you that. Well, <laughs> I want to end it here. I'm kind of emotionally burned out right now. But anyway, <laughs> I just want to say it's taken decades for the vision God has placed on this church uh, to see what we're seeing today. A pastor recently asked me, how did your church become what it is today? Uh, and then he said, how can I leave my church to do the same? And here's what I told him. I said, be prepared to stay a minimum of 20 more years. <laughs> minimum. How many of you have been around know what I'm talking about? Minimum. you got to gain their trust. you got to love them like no one else has ever loved them. you you got to find people who you can trust that will be there for you like a mainer. And you just got to just do what God lays on your heart to do and move forward. But it does. It takes years to do what this church has been able to do. Decades. Decades. And guess what? We get to be the beneficiaries of what it's become. To see, what, 20 children dedicated to the Lord a couple weeks ago? It's beautiful, isn't it? To go down that hall right now and see all of those young families being discipled as young parents. Some of you are in this room. It blows my mind what, how God's been able to use this place. So, here's the question. How will we as a church family respond? This is how we've attempted to respond. Loving God, connecting with others, and reaching the world. Many of you are sick of hearing it. It's like it's ingrained in your head. Perfect. That's where we want it to be. Okay? Loving God, what does that look like? Our gatherings, our devotional lives, our prayer teams, all of us coming around and making God a big deal. Loving Jesus, loving his truth, celebrating who he is, is important to us here at Pleasant City Church. Secondly, connecting with others, doing life together, being genuine, real, transparent through discipleship. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's what it took in my personal life to become the man that I think I am. You can ask the wife later. But, but, but it's one of those things where God just pours people into your lives, and you need to look for them. Reaching the world, ministry and missions, ministry through serving together, missions through a, by being a sending church. Not just a church that says, we'll pray for you while you're out there. Not just a church that says, hey, here's a couple hundred dollars. Hope it goes far when you get out there. But a church that sends people. And boy, have we seen that. Jonathan, would you come up and share with us a little bit about what that look, has looked like? <clears throat> oh, you said I could leave it up here. Yeah, Thank you me. leave it. So not sure how you follow that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we do. We have a strategy here at Pleasant City Church. And uh, we have our vision, uh, how we're going to respond, love God, connect with others, reach the world. We have our beliefs, our core beliefs of we know uh, what the Bible says about who Christ is and who we are. And uh, we also have culture values, how we operate as a church. And one of those is that we are kingdom focused. And you can read these on our website, but I just want to read a small portion of this in regards to our strategy here at Pleasant City Church. As a church, we take seriously the command of Jesus to be on mission. Therefore, we not only pray and give, but strategically partner with those who the Holy Spirit has sovereignly led us to. We believe in empowering our church family through prayer, financial support, and hands-on training as we send them on mission. 
As a church, we are not just focused on the local mission and vision of God, but we join him in his global vision to reach the world. And so we have a mission strategy, and we've got a few things here for you to look at here. But in our mission strategy, we have two funds that operate here, the PCC Sending Fund and the PCC Mission Projects. And you can see them there at the top. PCC Sending, uh, 1% of everything our church brings in goes into this fund. Uh, it's around $15,000 uh, a year and uh, the Missions Council, we have a Missions Council that operates that fund. And the whole point of it is to send people out from among our church. Members that, that come to that Missions Council, they're able to, be, able to be sent out. And hopefully we can help alleviate the cost of their mission trip or their miss, mission money that they have to raise. Uh, our project, uh, mission projects, 10% of all of our construction uh, that we do around here, the money raised for that, 10% of that goes into a project fund. And uh, the way that's used is our team members that come out from Pleasant City Church, our team members have never had to pay for the projects and the missional causes that we support while we're on the field. So if Pleasant City Church does a mission trip somewhere, our costs never include the projects, right? Like our church takes care of all of the project's needs for that particular mission trip, which is pretty awesome. We also have global partners. We have our, our partners in Nepal that we're able to work and serve alongside. Uh, they'll probably actually be here uh, in another month, which is pretty exciting to be able to hear what God's doing there. Uh, just some great work there in the 1040 window of the unreached. Uh, East-West Missions. East-West Missions is uh, operated or, or we are partnered with them through Brandon Philbeck. And they work specifically with unreached people groups. They do trainings. They go into these places where the gospel is very sparse, and they do trainings there. Uh, Caribbean Missions. This is Daniel Rice, his branch's ministries. Uh, and quite honestly, we might have to change the name of that soon. He actually just got back from Uganda, Africa, and they're looking to do mission work in other places. But it used to be right there just in the Caribbean. We've taken mission trips with them, uh, but they're actually expanding their ministry right now. Uh, European Missions. We had a young lady, a college student that was here for, for, uh, for many years, and she actually right now is in um, is in uh, sorry Sweden. Uh, we're actually going to be visiting with her this September. Uh, we're able to partner with uh, Tessa Walsh there in uh, Europe. Central American missions. This is Guatemala. Cali Nestuardo Lopez. We're able to work with them uh, with Chispas of Change. You've probably heard about that. Uh, actually, they're going to be sharing in a few weeks here at our church as well. Uh, we have a missionary that's uh, in the Middle East. Uh, she's actually on furlough right now. She'll be going back in August. Uh, but we're excited to see what God's doing there uh, in the Middle East with her. She's working with, uh, with uh, the Kurdish people. So it's incredible opportunities. And here's the thing with these global partners. Our desire is not just to, you know, say we pray for you, send them a little money. No, we desire as a church to send people to them right? To be partnered with them through that. And so our church in the last 12 months, we have sent 106 short-term participants just from our church to go. Yeah, that's worth giving God a hand for. To go to these global partners and work with them and support them and encourage them. 
But it's not just our global partners. We also have local partners, right? We have the cooperative program, the Southern Baptist Convention cooperative program. I don't know if you know this, but that funds our seminaries uh, that are still teaching the Word of God. And uh, our desire for a lot, of, a lot of young men and women, they go to these seminaries. I was a product of that seminary. Uh, our senior pastor was as well, as well as others on our staff. Uh, but that money that we send there goes to help fund the seminaries there, the mission board, uh, the Greater Cleveland County Baptist Association. This is how we partner with other local churches. Uh, our giving helps these smaller churches that we were just talking about try to stay uh, afloat and see what God can do with them. Uh, community missions here, uh, we have families in need. We have people that don't have a home that walk this little pathway all the time. And a lot of times they'll stop at the church office. And, uh, and this fund helps us provide for them when, when there's a need. Uh, many come to the church in need. There's community outreach. We've got Serve Shelby coming up uh, this summer. We'll be talking about that in a few weeks. We've got the dental bus that we've done before. Other opportunities like that. It comes out of this particular fund, community outreach. Then we're also partnered with the Pregnancy Resource Center. I can't think of, man, what an incredible privilege that is, right? That life is not just sacred outside of the womb. Life is sacred in the womb as well. And they've been providing alternative options to abortion. And praise God for that. In fact, I heard a, a rumor uh, the other day. It's a, it's a reliable source. It's not a rumor. It's a good thing. Uh, that this last year at the Pregnancy Resource Center, there have been 33 professions of faith right there at the center. So that's just incredible what God's been doing through that ministry. Uh, Gideon's International, this is an organization you probably know, distributes Bibles all over the world. Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, Good News Club. This is amazing that Cleveland County allows this, but we're able to get into the public school system after school and lead essentially like backyard Bible clubs used to be, this good news club with kids to hear about Jesus. Man, what an incredible opportunity that is. Cleveland County Rescue Mission. This is a, uh, a mission that houses people who don't have a home, but more than just that, tries to equip them into a situation where they don't have to live and, and stay in that situation. Um, One Love Skate Ministry, a ministry geared towards uh, to reaching out to the skate community uh, that's nationwide, actually worldwide. Uh, One More, One Less Project, they were here just a few weeks, a weeks ago, a ministry that, that really deals with foster care and adoption and the opportunity we have uh, to care for these children. Uh, Hands-On Missions, uh, Stephen Hogg, he's right here in our church, um, we're partnered with him as well, helps other mission works across the world and across the country uh, that they're doing, ministries and missions that they're doing, we're able to partner with them. Uh, and then Wy Wycliffe Translators, uh, this is a great opportunity, a lot of you guys know this, they actually translate the Bible into many, many different la languages, and we actually have Steve and Diane Parkhurst that are part of our church that are in this ministry, and I was talking to Jim uh, Barr about this just a minute ago, and he was saying that right now they're working on sign language, a video Bible for the deaf, for, for people to have the, the, the Bible in sign language. And a, a Jim was telling me that the percentage of people who know Christ, the deaf community, is like in a single-digit percentage. 
which is kind of shocking when you think about it. But the opportunity we have to translate the Word of God and be partnered with that organization. I mean, we've got global partners, we've got local partners, and it's so cool to see what God's been doing here. That since 2002, over $5.4 million has been given to these partners, to our missions here at Pleasant City Church. And our 2023 budget this year, it's going to be 12.5% of our budget, around $188,000. But what's amazing is it's a percentage. So all these partners are based on a percentage. So the more that our church gives, the more you give, the more money goes to these partners to do the work of ministry. And the, the number that I think is amazing is that in the last 12 months, we had a big Christmas giving campaign here at Pleasant City Church. In the last 12 months, we've given to missions $492,000. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? It's been cool. Amen. Well, that is our mission strategy. It's held up well over the years, and we're so proud. What's amazing about that $5.4 million in missions is uh, many of those years was with a pretty small congregation, and uh, God has done some amazing things there. Let me give you some results. Uh, since 2002, this church, we've had 686 baptisms. That's amazing to me for our, our church. Baptisms in the last 12 months, 49. And the total joined last 12 months is 159 people. And that's, there you go. Amen. <clears throat> the weekly attenders, this is an interesting stat here. If you look, uh, let's see, let me look at what I'm looking at here. Uh, January through April of 2023, our Sunday morning attendance has been just over 1,000. That, that, that blows my mind. Uh, Sunday attenders back in 2022, you can see 798. And then pre-COVID, COVID, COVID <laughs> we were at 628. So you can see we've really grown as a church, not only uh, in those who've joined, but our attendance. Next screen, you'll see the warehouse. Warehouse has done some great things. 2023, 107 students. 2022, 102. And then back in 99, 56. So that ministry is continuing to grow. Clubhouse ministry. This is something, this is for ch our children. 171. Can you imagine that? 171 children. Heather Earls or Heather, huh? Willis. She was the only baby in the nursery, what, 40 years ago? 40, you're 45 years old? Anyway, she was the only baby down there. Look right there. We got 171 now. Uh, 2022, 134, and then 99-108. Uh, so you can see God's done some amazing things. As far as our connect groups go, We've got four to meet at 8.15, 11 at 9.30, uh, and then at, uh, seven at 11, and then six on Wednesday night and three off campus. Y'all, this is the glue that will hold you here as a, as a, you don't need to be just be an attender. You need to be someone who's actually joined in to the work here, not just the work, but this is the glue that holds you here is through a connect group. Um, next, uh, we've had, this is another thing, called into full-time ministry. 22 have accepted the call into full-time ministry since 2000 in our church family. That's a great opportunity. Church plants, we have started two and two sponsorships nationally, internationally. We, we don't know what. They're, they're everywhere. It's happening all over the place almost on a monthly basis. There's a church being started that our support is behind. 
And, and that just blows my mind how God's using that. You go on. Mother's Morning Out, we're reaching 90 children currently with 67 families. Our homeschool uh, co-op, Seeds of Faith, 71 children with 30 families. And both of the, Mother's Morning Out is at its capacity. Homeschool co-op is growing every year tremendously. Next, our facilities. This is a big deal, and I want to quickly go through this. Our recent past, this is what we did. Okay, so some of you are around for that. We paid this off in 2022, $1.5 million. We were able to do this, believe it or not, in 33 months. We took care of that. That's amazing how God has continued to use us. That's what we were able to add, which is primarily the Connect Hall. If you go to the next, this is the present. This is where we are right now. Uh, we added 70 more parking spaces. We added the stadium seating. Y'all like the seating up there? Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. Now y'all want to all go up there now, don't you? Uh, anyway, we, we extended, extended our seating to two, by 250. We redecorated everything. We, we added to, fixed, updated existing restrooms. We're all saying hallelujah on that one. Next one, the total cost was one point, almost 1.5. This is where we are currently today. We've paid almost 500000 We still owe about 850000 We're projecting this payoff by March of 2025 at the latest, Okay. Go to the next. So, starting June 23, we're projecting that we'll, we'll have a loan of 838. Our interest is quite low for this day and time now of 24,000 if, if we play it out to March of 2025. And what we expect to go to mission projects will be about $38,000. So, the total need here going in is about $900,000. Now, here's why that's important. Go to the next screen. We need to knock this out as soon as possible. We already have waiting needs out there, okay? So if someone could just write the check today, <laughs> or we can all chip in, we need 80 families to give $25 a month, 80 families to do 50, 80 families to do 100, 30 families to do 200. That's 270 giving units. Since January, we've had 481 giving units. That would be $20,000 per month. That would have us paying everything off by the end of 2024. And y'all, that is a great goal to have uh, for us if we can knock that out. Now, here's why we need to do that. Near future, uh, lobby would uh, welcome center gathering area. Last week, I went to see my grandbaby be dedicated, and, uh, and it was in a church, growing church like ours, about the same size, growing leaps and bounds, and they had a lobby that made a big difference. Y'all know how y'all try to Get in here and do your thing, and you're always in someone's way. Let's get that soon, please, okay? Uh, that's going to be about 5,500 square feet, closing in the two here, if you go to the next picture. Uh, we found out that curved roof's way too much money. It'll be a straight shot angle. <laughs> you go to the next. This is where we're hoping to put that, between this building and the children's building. Next. Uh, addition of a new playground in the fenced area for the preschoolers. That playground's got to come out. And we're going to add canopies to some of the picnic tables. Some of you are saying amen to that, I'm sure. Next, uh, that's where the, the playground will go, right up in that corner where the, that will be the preschool playground. Next, uh, we're going to add to the Connect Hall behind the worship center. We need eight more rooms. Eight more rooms. That's a great thing. Eight more rooms, 4,800 square feet. That's where it will go. It'll connect around the building here. When we get to that point, we'll be in good shape. That's what it could look like, 20 by 20 
uh, five rooms. Two of, those, two of those walls will be movable so we can expand. We already have need of that. If you go to the next thing, we're going to add to the warehouse building, give them their own version of a connect hall. That's necessary. It'll be 2,600 square feet. It will go on the side of that building. And that's what it could look like if you've ever been in there. You have the cafe, and then you've got the gathering area, and then there'll be four rooms added on the side. If you go to the next, where you need to add more parking spaces, 75 spaces. Many of us have talked about Maynard this morning. This is the only thing Maynard's asked for in the last 50 years of being here at this church <laughs> is golf carts to get some of y'all back and forth, okay? Only thing the man's ever asked for. We're going to get him a golf cart at some point. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe you're right. They want a golf cart. Okay. <laughs> Worship. If you look at what this means, what this means is we can exhaust this property with this future construction. Okay. And so we, we've already expanded the worship number in here. That's just probably as big as we can grow on this campus. Our connect groups right now, we're running, uh, we, we have enough for, for one hour, 250 people. We actually need 18 rooms. We need for, for per hour, 450 because we'll always have two hours, three hours of connect groups. Next, this is what it could do for the future. We got all kinds of things. This would expand the numbers where we exhaust the property based on the percentages of who's in preschool, children, students. It's all created to, to make that work. The children's ministry is getting ready to over, uh, have new programming. What's going to happen is it looks like at 9.30, K through second grade is going to have large group. And then small group uh, for them is uh, uh, at 10, 11 o'clock and then vice versa for third grade to fifth grade. That right there is to double the space we already have. You see, and y'all can pat Corby on the back because this means a lot of work for him and his team. Okay, but it creates rooms for the preschool. Next. All right. Our potential as a church family. I want to show you this. This may shock you. The median household income for North Carolina residents is $60,500. The church is made up of 559 households. If all gave 10% based on the median household in North Carolina, our budget would be $3.3 million. Right now, we're averaging $32,000 a week, which is great. Never thought we'd ever see that. It comes to $1.6 million. It's a difference of $1.7 million. I'm just going to tell you, if we all got serious about giving, I'm just going to tell you the needs Every need I just mentioned would be taken care of in 36 months. All those needs. We just need to get serious about what God's doing and how he's using us here as a church family. So here, so here it is. Application. Will we respond as a church to the vision God's placed before us? We have so far. But will we continue to do that? Will we continue to do that? There's several ways you can give to the church. There's give boxes. There's uh, online uh, QR code, whatever that is that they call that in there. We need to get busy. We need to see what God wants to do going in the future. And what's so great about how our church is set up, the more we give, the more it goes to missions. Because it's all set up on the percentage. And it's definitely a blessing. Father, we just come to you and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you started many, many years ago. And Father, as we look forward to the days ahead, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would just help us to, to understand that you've called us to a great purpose. 
a purpose that began right there in the heart of you, Father. When we became sinful, when we needed a Savior, you provided one in the name of Jesus, your Son. Father, we thank you for that. Help us as a church family to be all about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us as we're dismissed this morning?